Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe related items. I'm Frank. I am Jeff. And we have with us today Robert Gensler, uh, the copy services architect uh, and a newly minted SDSM. Oh, uh, oh, let me hit the applause button. <laughs> oh, we have sound effects. I was wondering. That's great. <laughs> There's plenty more where that came from. Congratulations. So, thank you. Yeah. So, so um, we thought we'd pick one piece of this and kind of go off on it. Um, we heard about this thing, TCT, and uh, it sounded a lot like a really cool drug. So we thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about what TCT is. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having me. So um, TCT stands for Transparent Cloud Tiering. Now, don't get this confused with CTC because uh, that one will really <laughs> blow your mind. Okay. Uh, but TCT um, is a technology that exists within our disk storage subsystems to move data you know, from flash drives to a cloud object storage uh, over Ethernet using TCP IP. Okay, so that's that's the ground zero for TCT. Great, well, thanks for joining us. That yep, was yep. <laughs> I can see why they made you SDSM. <laughs> so let's start, let's start with, with uh, when we say cloud object storage, what do we mean? Is that like a, like a NoSQL file or, or what is it? When we talk about cloud object storage, it's really another tier of storage. And, and it could be disk, it could be physical tape, but it, it's really just another big pool of storage that uh, we, can, we can put data in. When I think object, I'm usually thinking of something like a, a, a JSON or a BSON um, thing, but but that's not necessarily what's in cloud objects storage, right? Uh, cloud. So the data within a cloud object store really could be anything. It's really just a uh, stream of bytes. I think what's you know when we talk about storage, right? Normally, uh, well, we talk about count key data storage on the mainframe and ZOS, but there's really block based storage or there's object storage when you talk about cloud storage, right? And so a, a block-based storage system would be something that, uh, you know, applications that need very high performance, transactional data, you know, your, your databases and things like that, they would use something like a block-based storage system. Uh, I believe uh, Red Hat Ceph, right, is a, is a block-based storage system for, for clouds. Um, when we talk about object storage, it's it's streamed, it's byte streams, but it's generally colder data, stuff that you don't access as frequently, um, tends to be, uh, even so the performance is lower, but it is infinitely scalable. So it is a very scalable system and it comes with a very simple API. So when we talk about cloud object storage, really what we're talking about is a distributed server with a bunch of disks on the back end, and that distributed server exposes a very simple API to put and get data off of those disks. Okay, so we're not really saying uh, put everything out on you know AWS or something with this, right? 
Not necessarily. So for some clients, yes. And, and so way back, you know, we started talking about transparent cloud sharing uh, probably in about end of 2014, early 2015. And, and at that time, um, TCT, it was something that actually came out of research. And we, we started talking to clients and the, and the message was, you know, we'll never put our data, our mainframe data, um, within a public cloud, within something like an Amazon S3. Um, as the years have gone, I think even our clients begin to realize, yes, there's a certain set of data that will not leave their data center, right? But there are other things that data that gets generated that isn't, you know, doesn't necessarily have the value, doesn't contain confidential data, um, and, and something that they could store out in a public cloud for a much lower cost than they could store it within their own data center. So we, we do see use cases for even our largest clients to put some data in public clouds. Now, what we did a couple years ago with our tape system, our virtual tape server, the TS7700, right, which is traditionally where we store backup and archive data, what, what that team has done is put an object storage um, API in front of their um, their storage. You know, it's a virtual tape server, but really it's disk in there too. <laughs> um, and what our clients are really interested in from, you know, I would say a majority of our clients from the ZOS side of the mainframe side is using their TS7700 within their data center as an object store. This is uh, blowing my mind a, a little bit. So help, help me uh, kind of <laughs> level this out. Does how much from from a, a Z sysprog or storage admin standpoint? How much do I know? Do I need to know about the consumer of this cloud storage data, or or can I just think of it as another another user or another destination? From a from a system programmer point of view and a storage administrator point of view, I think you can look at cloud object store as introducing another tier of storage within your hierarchy, right? So you have you have traditionally your enterprise disk, your DS8900, right? And that's where your um, sort of highest performing data is going to live. It's your, it's your databases, right? The stuff that never gets closed, never gets um, migrated. You may also have virtual tape, right? For your backups and certain, certain migration copies. Um, and the third tier, right, is cloud object storage, which is probably even a lower cost than your virtual tape server. So, so in this model, you mentioned that um, when we talk about the, the, the destination, it's just a, another server with, uh, with like a whole lot of disk attached to it. Yes. Um, is this something that I could set up in my own data center? And would, would that be, um, is there some standard thing I have to do um, to provide that? Yeah, you can set it up in your own data center. So there's this idea of, um, you know, public clouds versus a private cloud. And this feeds into this whole IBM's hybrid multi-cloud strategy, right? So, so for example, IBM's true cloud object storage offering is IBM cause or IBM cloud object storage. And, um, those folks can come in and you can set up an on-premise, right, IBM cause within your data center, right? Um, and then 
you could use uh, the IBM cloud, right, or the IBM public cloud for another set of data that, that you don't, don't care goes out of your data center boundaries. So in this, it sounds like um, that uh, you support AWS because you mentioned that earlier and you support uh, the, the IBM one because obviously, you know, that one's better, right? Um, but uh, do I have to code differently depending on if I'm going to uh, the IBM one as opposed to AWS? No. And so, yeah, let's talk about what, you know, what are the use cases a little bit? So when we start talking about um, introducing cloud object storage as another storage tier, right, within your your data center or outside your data center walls, we're not talking about um, an application writing directly to cloud object storage. We're not talking about that yet, right? An application is still going to read or write um, to disk or tape. When we start talking about cloud, cloud object storage at TCT specifically, right, we're talking about data that you back up uh, using either um, IBM products such as DSS, data set services, or HSM, the hierarchical storage manager, um, or data that you migrate with HSM. So HSM migration is a um, sort of a part of our informational lifecycle management um, offering, right? And, and really the, the premise behind ILM is to put your data, you know, align the value of your data with the cost it is to store it, right? So your, your highly valuable data, you store it on your highest performing, lowest latency storage, which would be your DS8900F, right? And then there's other less valuable data, less reference data, lower cost data. And you want to store that on a lower cost tier, like like IBM costs, right? And so HSM migration in that information lifecycle management strategy is the thing that will move data from, from disk to tape or from disk to cloud. Uh, okay, so in your ILM uh, strategy, your, your policy, you then say, oh, this is going to be cloud object storage and go to AWS, or this is going to be cloud object storage and go to IBM. Or Correct. Okay. So within DFSMS, we have um, what we call constructs that are policies that sort of tell us how to, you know, the, several things, how to create the data sets, um, where to place them within the storage tiers, right? That's the storage class. And then we have the management class, which tells us how those data sets are to be managed, right? And, and really... Um, that's where the ILM policy comes in, and that's where the backup, when you're using HSM for backup, um, that's where that backup policy comes in. So within your management class, you would say, you know, uh, as a data set is created on the system, right, it gets assigned these constructs using routines that are coded by the clients, right? So every time we try and create a data set, it goes through this set of routines and it says what constructs you know, what, what construct or policy definition should we assign to this data set, right? And so when the data set's created, it gets assigned these constructs. And within that construct, it will say, hey, if this data set hasn't been referenced for seven days, maybe we should move it off of our high-performing, you know, high-performance flash DS8900, and maybe we should move it down. Maybe we should move it down to 
an IBM Cloud Object Store. So it's within that management class definition or construct that um, defines how that data set should be managed and how it should be moved. Is there a specific hardware or a specific uh, level of anything that, that, you know, what, what are the requirements, I guess, is the better way of asking um, for, to, to take advantage of all this? It is a fundamentally, you know, we are introducing an entire new tier of storage to the mainframe. So there is a little bit of setup that you have to do, right? So um, let's just say you want to um, leverage an IBM public cloud provider, right? Mm -hmm. um, you would create an account on that public cloud. Um, the the DS80, the DS8900, right, would have to be configured to connect to that cloud. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. So what you've done is you've created an account, you've created a, a user ID or a service ID, right, within that IBM cloud to say, hey, all of this data from this DS8900 or this set of 8900s, all of this TCT data is going to get stored in this account. Okay. So there's a little bit of configuration that has to happen down on your DS8000. And then within DFSMS, we also have to create a connection, right? So uh, we have to, we actually use the DS8000s, we're gonna call it a proxy server, right? We, we use the DS8000 as a proxy server to um, send some administrative commands through ZOS to the IBM cloud. So there's a little bit of configuration you have to do within DFSMS to define a network connection and once you're done with those two things, you can then start setting up your constructs to target that IBM cloud for certain sets of data. So do I need an uh, 8900 to do this? You can do it. So 8900 is the newest generation of our enterprise storage systems, right? Um, the previous model was the DS8880 series. So the TCT was supported on DS8880 as well. Um, the 8900 brings with it some advancements that most clients would really want to see. One of them being compression. So with, on, with that 8880 model, um, data that was tiered out to an IBM cloud or an IBM, you know, or a TS7700 even was not compressed. Um, and so with the 8900 level, um, data that is tiered out to a TS7700 is now compressed. So um, make sure I understand this. It sounded like you said that the 8900 would be kind of a, a gateway. So I, I don't have to have all um, 8900s. I could kind of funnel them through that one or do they each have to have their own connection? They each have to have their own connection. And um, th there's really two data, data paths. And without getting too deep, um, you know, the, the client's data, the user data, the, the data that's sitting on the disk, we just send a, a very basic command to the DS8000. And we say, move these tracks, right, on this disk to the cloud. But there's a whole set of administrative commands, right, that we also need to do. And so right now, we don't talk directly to the cloud storage ourselves. Um, but we need to provide auditing capabilities, right? So we have data that's migrated. We need to make sure that our inventories for those migrated data sets match up what's in the cloud. Um, 
we, we provide reporting capabilities. So we need to do things and um, access the data within that cloud. So we use the DS8000 as a, as a little bit of a proxy server for what we call those administrative commands to list things and to, so we can do auditing and reports. But the data itself is um, sent, you know, we issue a FICON CCW. That's very low level. And we mm-hmm. say move these tracks <laughs> to the cloud. Okay, and, and so I'm just make sure I understand this. So um, each each of these disk environments understands that it's sending stuff to the cloud. There's going to be one that kind of owns the um, the administrative, the metadata around that activity. There's one that we'll use to funnel that metadata um, through to the cloud, and it'll allow. It's like a gateway. It lets us you know, look up objects so that we can do our auditing and reporting as well. Yes. Uh, how much uh, of the, of ZOS does this take? Is it, is it all kind of data um, through ZOS or do we just kind of say, Hey, here's a, here's a policy um, storage. Go figure it out. So, so within ZOS and within DFSMS, we're still, I would say, very involved in the management of the data, but we're no longer involved in the movement of the data. So what I mean there is uh, the DS8000 isn't doing anything without our asking it to, right? So there's the, you know, there's sort of two paths. There's the, the HSM path, which is the policy-based data manager, right? And so if a date, let's take the example, right? There's a policy that says if it has, if a data set hasn't been referenced in seven days, move it off to cloud. Okay. So after seven days, HSM runs and sees this data set and it's going to send a command through a whole stack of software (laughs) until it gets down to the DS8000 and it says, move this data. Now the DS8000 doesn't, after it moved the data, it has no record that that piece of data ever existed within its disk, right? All of so the control of of the you know telling the DS eight thousand to move it to cloud was done by ZOS and DFSMS. The inventory, the 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 knowledge that this data existed on a disk at some point, but now is in the cloud. And if someone, if an application needs to reference that that data, HSM can go out and grab it off of cloud and put it back on disk, right? So so ZOS and DFSMS are still the managers or stewards of that data. The movement now is just done by the DS8000. And it kind of sounds like you were saying that uh, reassembly is is disassembly in reverse. Getting stuff back off cloud to your storage is is kind of... um, just the same as moving between uh, tiers of uh, a typical SMS uh, managed environment. Yep. And for, for data sets that are migrated, right. And, and that's, that's just, it's been removed from disk and put into the cloud. If an applic, let's say a data set was migrated and you went to ISPF 3.4 and mm-hmm. you tried to browse it, um, nothing changes, right? You, you type B and hit enter and what happens is it's migrated, so it DFSMS automatically goes out, recalls that data set, puts it back on disk, and then the editor opens up 
the browser window opens up. So from from that perspective, the bringing back the data is completely transparent to users and applications. So I don't see that message anymore that says uh, waiting for tape. It just goes, gets it, and comes back, right? Yes. So you don't have to wait for tape mounts, but it still has to go get the data and put it back on disk, which can take a little bit of time. So, so does it treat that storage like it's tape? Does it have to, um, can it find that uh, file kind of sitting out um, in the cloud or does it have to start at the beginning of the data that, that we've sent out to the cloud? So it doesn't treat it like tape. We treat it like off, like an offline tier. And so I would say prior to this, we treat, you know, we think of tape as offline, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's in a format different than the format than it exists on disk, right? It, it's no longer directly accessible by the application. It has to be transformed. Um, but the access to that data in the cloud is completely different than the way you access data on tape. And there are advantages there, right? And so with tape, like you said, you kind of have to start at the beginning and read through the whole thing until you get the thing you want, right? And with cloud object store, it's more of a disk-like access. It's a direct access. The other advantage is you can do things in parallel, right? Um, So you can actually write multiple objects in parallel, or you can actually start retrieving other, you know, multiple objects um, concurrently. Oh, okay. Cause you're not dealing with like one, it was the tape head, you know, robot thingy doing its thing. It can actually <laughs> fire off multiples. Yes. Very technical and make it an anagram if you want to. Or, uh, <laughs> acronym. So, so Sorry, I've been talking so, all day. I'm not talking good right now. <laughs> So, so, but so, this is a huge advantage, right? Over tape is that that uh, I have this this um, offline, and I'm air quoting offline, right? Offline right. Um, capability that that I can can get my data from, but it would it would almost have to be faster than if I just did it from from tape. You would. So, there's a couple things to consider there. And that is when we're accessing data um, off of tape, the connection between the host and the the virtual tape server, that's today probably a 16 gig FICON link. And and so there's a a throughput that you can get with that sort of link. Uh, When you start talking about TCT, you're starting to talk about ethernet networks and switches. And, And my observation would be, the care and feeding of a FICON network is it's much more cared for and fed than the Ethernet network. And so that right. data coming back could be jumping through switches, and, and there's a lot of things that could affect performance. So, so I think at some point we, we hope that the performance is better, but I'll say right now we're working on it. <laughs> okay, so, so, so it's not faster... Is it is it cheaper than doing things from tape? I mean, I'm I'm trying to say, hey, you you're thinking about doing this. This is what the value would be. Yeah. So for TCT, the the main value, uh, you know, I think what what clients are looking for from TCT is the reduced cost in managing your data on ZOS. 
So um, it may not necessarily be faster yet, but the cost to manage the data using TCT is much less than how we traditionally do it. And why, so for example, yeah, I think there are some shops, I'm not a pricing expert, right? But there are some shops where um, HSM is the number two consumer of MIPS behind DB2, right? <laughs> and so DB2, that's that's your bread and butter. That That's, that's what clients are using to, you know, uh, make money for themselves. HSM is not making them money. The HSM's out there just managing the data, putting it on, you know, backing it up and putting it on the right tier. And so what we want to do is we want to say, we want to reduce the cost. And sometimes it can affect that four hour rolling average, the HSM MIPS. And so what we want to do is um, with TCT and, and what we are doing significantly is reducing the cost of managing that data, right? So then clients can use those MIPS, right? That they save using TCT and put that to, other things and bringing new applications and new data onto the platform. So for example, um, there, there's tools that we can do to measure the savings and, and to project savings that clients would see, but it's very common to see um, 70% savings, CPU savings when oh, wow. take, taking a workload that was managed with traditional, you know, um, virtual tape and using either the TSC 7700 as an object store or a cloud, but just moving the data with TCT. Um, we also have another product, DSS dataset services, right? That's less policy-based. That's more, it's just a batch job, right? It's, it's that little batch utility. And so I'm actually the product owner of <laughs> DSS. That, and when I came in, that was, you know, oh, that little batch utility, right? Um, <laughs> But DSS can uh, back up data sets and volumes using TCT as well, right? And we actually just published some numbers in the 2.5 announcement. Um, for a full volume dump using DSS, um, clients can see up to 98% CPU savings. Wow. So so the, the amount of savings is, is really the key value uh, statement at least for TCT right now. Awesome. Well, uh, we're coming up on the bottom of the hour. This this has been awesome, Robert. We really appreciate appreciate this. Um, this I, I didn't know enough about this to even ask the best questions until you came. So, so thanks. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Old Man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.